First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 109 of Talk is Cheap, our New York Giants podcast on NJ.com. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Cratch, Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advance Media. They were at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. The Giants come off the bye. They take on a good Los Angeles Rams team, and they can't compete. They give up 51 points. They get blown out. And the season, I mean, forget spiraling out of control, James. The franchise feels like it's spiraling out of control. Ben McAdoo's press conference, Eli Manning's not happy with the ideas of not playing. Uh, the owner spoke for at least a line or two, and it was ominous. James, what the heck's going on with the New York Giants? You know what? Ben McAdoo won't say it. I will. The Giants are an embarrassment. They have disgraced the franchise. I mean, it, they're a disgrace. And th- I don't see how... It's, it's a matter of when, not if now. There is no way that going forward, they still have eight games left in this season. Changes are coming. I mean, I, John Mara, Steve Politi, was able to get him leaving the press box. He didn't say much. But look, first off, it's remarkable that John Mara has now spoken twice in season. Once at the owners' meeting in New York a couple weeks ago when Dan was there. And obviously to Steve on the way to the elevator, obviously very upset on the game Sunday, look, the, the, this changes are coming to this place. I think it's just a matter of when they happen and how, you know, how drastic they are. Uh, people are going to lose their jobs because what happened yesterday was inexcusable and it does not happen in the NFL. You do not give up 51 points willy-nilly in the NFL. Uh, it's not that sort of league. It's not college football. So changes are coming. And, and the Giants, I think, really embarrassed themselves and their franchise on Sunday against the Rams. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're as bad right now as any team in the NFL. And, Dan, usually when things get this bad, changes happen. They happen swiftly. Big people, big big names, big positions are changed. And it's just amazing to talk about it from the Giants' perspective, Dan, because this doesn't happen to this franchise, at least hasn't happened in a long time. They, they I think they're in their worst place right now since probably the mid-'90s. I mean, they had a couple down years here and there, but it never looked this bad and never seemed to be this rudderless. I, I This is probably the worst John Mayer has been around in 20-plus years. Yeah, and the amazing part is just how quickly the wheels have come off. I mean, think about this. Like, you know, you guys said, we're only eight games into the season, and, and Ben McAdoo was coming off an 11-5 debut season, got the team back to the playoffs. We're talking Super Bowl two months ago. Uh, no one obviously could have seen this coming. Uh, you know, it's just totally come apart at the seams. And the problem is, is they keep finding new ways to kind of reach rock bottom. They keep digging deeper. You know, there's different ways they embarrass themselves seemingly week in and week out. Um, you know, 
you know, there was there was really no shame in losing games. Uh, well, I mean, it was 0-5 was bad, but when they were losing games, at least being competitive. But then they have the injuries, which obviously are out of their control. But that just you know sent this thing into a deeper spiral. Then you start having the disciplined things when you're suspending, you know, two different veteran cornerbacks. Uh, and then I think you know Sunday's game against the uh, the Rams, which is kind of the capper. I mean, that was that was gross. That was that was the worst case scenario. Your your home game coming off a bye. Uh, you have like a, a young Rams team coming across the country. Seemed like maybe a, I know James thought maybe a chance for an upset. Um, and it certainly did not play out that way. I mean, that's just, it was just a complete embarrassment. I mean, it was a, a miserable rainy day. I mean, no fans, you know, left in the stands by the end of the game. And I know that's one of the things that uh, Giants ownership has always kind of, kind of said, you know, booing is one thing, but when you get to the level of apathy, uh, you know, that we're seeing now, that's when it's, it really doesn't sit well with them. So, um, I think the key phrase, you know, that we're going to be saying is definitely when, not if. I mean, there's just imagine if this season continues to go this way. Imagine, you know, John Merritt getting up on the podium on January 1st and saying we're going to bring Ben McAdoo back. I mean, I mean, I don't see any way you could make a case that, uh, you know, he's the guy to turn this around to lead this team into the future. It's just again, it's just it spiraled so much faster and, and so much deeper than anyone ever could have imagined. You know what? What I come back to is I was thinking about this driving home on Sunday night and this morning. When Rex Ryan got fired by the Jets in 2014, he, you know, the Jets, they played hard for him. You know, they lost by, I think, a point to the Patriots. They beat the Dolphins in his last game. They lost a game in overtime, you know. But the fact of the matter was they got embarrassed twice by the Buffalo Bills in this completely demoralizing fashion. And that was just a situation where, you know, you, you can't bring him back when you have losses like that. Sunday, that was a loss that I just feel like is almost a point of no return loss for Ben McAdoo. And I don't see, yeah, there's eight games left, but I don't see how this team is going to suddenly play harder and put a, a more respectable effort forward over the second half of the season. It's only going to get worse, especially when you're coming home in December to three divisional rivals, all of whom are probably going to be in the playoff race. And I think that Eagles game, could be the rock bottom of rock bottoms because the Eagles fans are going to show up. They're going to be loud. They're going to be rowdy. And the Eagles might clinch the NFC East or clinch home field advantage in the playoffs on the Giants field. And that could be an absolute catastrophe. I think that ownership will just at that point say we have no choice but to blow this thing up completely. That's a good point, James. That, that that December, specifically the Eagle game, like you mentioned, but all three, if they're all three of those teams are in it and they get blown out three times at home or beaten three times at home by three division rivals in December, um, it just feels like, Dan, it just feels like we're watching a coach walk the plank. And, you know, there's certain moments in the season that you, you've scratched your head watching Ben McAdoo coach or explain his decisions and his discipline decisions. I mean, they're out without Janoris Jenkins on Sunday, and uh, I've been confused with McAdoo's reasoning for doing whatever he does in terms of disciplining his players or not disciplining his players, but they're without their best corner. And I think one of the images that's going to come back to his tenure, whenever it does end and this season will be on Sunday against the Rams third and 33. Uh, and uh, Los Angeles, I'm going to call him St. Louis. Los Angeles runs a screen pass at the line of scrimmage and they go 52 yards for a touchdown. It just felt like that was the moment you're watching. You're like, this team just, they're not, they don't care. And I know the players spoke to you guys after the game and, and tried to downplay that and said that wasn't it, but it's hard not to feel that way when you watch the game. Yeah, I mean, it's rare that a player is going to stand up and say, we did quit. You might have some guys 
uh, suggesting other players did. We didn't have that, but I think that's the most you're going to get. I mean, why would a player say, yeah, I didn't try in that play? Although <laughs> Eli Apple was kind of the main culprit, and he wasn't in the locker room after the game. So it'd be interesting to see how he can justify his, you know, effort, you know, quote unquote, uh, on that play. I, I really, it's baffling to me to understand what he was trying to do as, you know, Woods runs by him. Apple's, I don't know, trying to contain him from going to the sideline. It was. Uh, hopefully he just had a brain fart and it wasn't just as bad of a lack of effort and just you know, shying away from context because that's what it looked like. And that, that, you know, every, you know, bad season, every great season, whatever it may be, kind of has a signature moment, a signature play, a signature win. I mean, right now that play kind of sums up, you know, the 2017 Giants. I mean, it was just, I mean, the, the Rams are just basically giving up. Like, ah, you know, maybe we, at best case scenario, we get in range for a 55-yard field goal or something like that. And then Woods is just running and running and no one's there. And, and obviously it turns into a touchdown. Just just really summed it up. And again, you know, I think certain players played hard. I think players played hard at times. But when you have a play like that, it's really hard for you to come in after the game and, you know, and tell us that, oh, yeah, everyone was fighting till the end. I mean, it's just that that play was, you know, kind of a microcosm of just, you know, how bad, uh, you know, this team performed on Sunday. Yeah, it was ugly. Uh, James, your reaction, take, take me back to your reaction watching that play as it happened. I, I could just sense on social media that Giants fans, that was kind of the, you know, just throw your hands up, shake your head, and just say, I'm done here when, when that play happened. What did you think as it was unfolding and uh, when he crossed the goal line there? I mean, third and 33, there's really, you know, you're not really trying to do much there. I, it's just, it's inexplicable. And Dan's right. I mean, Eli Apple, I mean, it's just kind of when it rains, it pours for him. I, I, I don't he was in a locker room. I would have loved to ask him what exactly he was doing there. Uh, you know, you want to give the, the guy the benefit of the doubt. And he's never really been a guy who I think has shied away from contact. But it's not a good look there. But no, I mean, look, third and 33, the Rams are not trying to do anything. They're just trying to get out of there at third and 33 around midfield, you know, and punt or whatever, or maybe gain some yardage. And, and, you know, it's just third and 33. Dan's right. That is the play that's going to be remembered for years to come. I mean, and it's not as drastic as, you know, fourth and 24 if you're a Packers or the Eagles fan. But third, I mean, it's just, it's inexplicable. And I just, they can say all they want that they didn't quit. You just had third and 33. Like, the world doesn't care that you say you played hard, and some guys did. But third and 33, it's just – it's it's embarrassing. I, he, I know Ben Mackey doesn't want to use that word, but it's the word. It, it's embarrassing. Good football teams, you know, p- football teams that care do not give up touchdowns on third and 33. I think it's a perfect way to put it. And, and they didn't seem like they cared. They got rocked by a young team. You guys mentioned it coming west to east, 1 o'clock game. I was with you, James. I thought there would be a close game. I thought maybe this is one the Giants could steal against a good team, but uh, the Rams might be, even be better than good. That didn't happen. And, Dan, after the game, of course, the conversation started with Ben McAdoo, the post-game press conference, just asking him, you know, you guys asked what happened, what's going on. And then there was the question about what he said to his team at halftime, which you would think, and I think this is where Giants fans are probably looking for some sort of just something to latch on to say, all right, this coach is going to figure it out, get this team turned around. Uh, and Ben gave the answer in a press conference that may live in infamy <laughs> in terms of New York coaches, just a big old fashioned, um, and it was a long <laughs> pause. I mean, it's, it's hilarious to watch Dan. What did you take away listening to, to how he reacted there? 
Yeah, no, I mean, it was painful. I, I usually go right to the locker room just to make sure you get the first batch of players because some guys try and get out early, and, and James will go to McAdoo. So I had heard that he had that response, but it didn't quite register. And then they send out the transcript, and to just go down the line, you know, oh, you know, we kept fighting. Oh, you know, we might change the quarterback. You know, just the generic questions and answers you'd expect after the game. And then you get to what was your message to the team at halftime, and just literally the, you know, A colon um, I mean, it, it, that didn't even do it justice. Then I had to go watch the press conference and he says the, um, and then there's an eight second pause before mercifully another reporter asked a question. Cause I, who knows how long that pause would have gone on. And, and <laughs> it was just such a basic question. I mean, just spout out some cliche. Uh, I told him to keep fighting. Obviously it didn't work out. I don't know. If, I don't know what happened there. I don't, you know, I don't know. It was bizarre. He, if he thought it was a trap that somehow whatever he said was going to be used against him. I, I don't know. I mean, but listen, it's par for the course of them. I mean, when he was winning last year, he was brutal with the press. Of course, fans don't care. Cause, I mean, why would you? I mean, Bill Belichick can you know do whatever he wants at the podium, and Patriots fans aren't going to care because you know all the Super Bowl trophies. But uh, with McAdoo, it's really you know it, it's not helping his cause. I mean, listen, if he was one and seven, he could be doing a stand-up act at the podium, and everyone could love him. It still wouldn't matter. I mean, he'd still get fired if you know things keep going this way. But he's not helping this case at all by the way he's handled himself, you know, at the podium because that's the only time fans get to connect with this guy, get to see this guy. So we, even if he doesn't like the media. You have to just kind of keep the big picture in mind and, and your image is, you know, what's going out there. No one's making fun of the media when that clip's going viral of, you know, the um and the and the eight second pause. Um, and it was a tough week for him overall. It wasn't even like that was just the one moment. It started with the whole debacle where he basically said that guys had a personal day on the first day back from the bye and it was an excused absence only to come up the next day and then say, well, actually, I hadn't even talked to Janoris Jenkins at that point and now we've got to suspend him because he, he didn't have a personal day. He didn't even check in to get an excuse. So uh, that was horrible. He handled that terribly. Then he had the kind of the another quote, I think, that's going to follow him. Uh, you know, that, that list is getting long of things that are going to follow this team in the season, but the, how great of a practice team they are. I mean, there's nothing fans want to hear less than this is a great practice team when at the time they're one in six uh, you know, now one and seven. I mean, I know we've all made the jokes that maybe the Giants, you know, are doing it wrong. They should have the fans come out on Thursday to the uh, <laughs> practice facility, you know, get to watch a nice crisp practice when they win the turnover battle, which again was another, you know, pretty funny comment by McAdoo when you're practicing against yourself. Uh, and then, you know, maybe just, you know, Sundays, stay home because that's not going to be pretty. But you come out on Thursday, you're going to see, you know, heavy handed physical practice and, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, he just kind of keeps saying these things and it just only digs the hole deeper. Again, I think the inevitable is out there. Um, but he, you know, he's got to find a job after this someplace and he's certainly not helping just his public image by the way he's handled these press conferences. No, he's not. I think I saw a response on, uh, you know, a video that surfaced that went viral with the the clip of Ben, and uh, there were people trying to guess what his next job would be, and and oh, it wasn't head coach. Uh, I could put it that way. There, and it's amazing, James. I off of what Dan was saying. I think sometimes we overrate this stuff. Um, I think fans overrate it, like the press conference and what these guys say, and it matters more to us, you guys, as, as you try to cover the team. But I do think it does give fans a sense of. Um, it's like a perception versus reality thing. And Bill Belichick, he could say whatever he wants because he's got all that uh, collateral. But there's a reason Tom Coughlin, really until the end, always, even if Giants fans didn't like him, like he was in control. Like Tom Coughlin felt like he was in control of the building, the franchise. And when you hear an um, it feels like the guy doesn't know what the heck's going on, doesn't know what he was trying to do. And um, even if Giants fans wanted to give this guy a pass or it's a tough year, it's stuff like that's gonna it's gonna make the fan base say this guy's gotta go like this cannot go on. Yeah, I just I think a lot of people make the Belichick comparison. I understand why, but 
it's not fair to Belichick, I think, and not just because obviously Bill wins and he's won, you know, he's the greatest coach in NFL history, but, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, Dan knows this, especially like on Fridays when they have their early morning access. If you ask him a question about, you know, you know, some trend in the NFL or some history, he will go on for 10 minutes and give you an extremely insightful, expansive answer. He you loves know, football the, questions, like about blocking schemes like, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like, he's not going to tell you who's going to start or something. But, I mean, Ben will, like, I go back to this, and it always stuck with me. When Ben got hired as head coach, uh, he thanked a bunch of people in his introductory press conference. One of the people he thanked was Brett Favre. Then that training camp, I, Brett Favre was going into the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame that summer. So I asked him, you know, just kind of a throwaway at the end of a thing, you know, training camp, you know, very low-key press conference about coaching with Brett Favre, thinking that he would give me, you know, a, a good, expansive answer about Brett. He gave, it was like a one. I remember he had like a one, one-word answer. It was invigorating or something. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, that's just so weird. I mean, Tom Coughlin. If we had asked Tom Coughlin about Brett Favre, he would have given us a five-minute dissertation on, you know, his favorite Favre story and what it meant to beat him in the 2000, you know, something Brett said to him after the, the title game in 2007, and and what Favre meant to the NFL and, and the NFC North and everything. It just seemed to me to be so weird that he just. I get that he's guarded and, and he thinks it's a competitive advantage, but. It's just gotten to the point where it's it's ridiculous. And that question, you know, I I was in there and there was a really awkward pause. And I was about to ask, so you didn't have a message? I was so are you telling us you didn't have a message? Team at halftime, but then another reporter jumped in. I mean, like, just say I'm not going to tell you that. I mean, and that um thing. And I'll be honest with you, when I was in the meet in the press conference, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I heard him say um. But I just thought he was just – because he does this, he just kind of ghosts you. You know, He asks a question and he doesn't want to answer it. But then I thought when that transcript comes out, I mean it gets little legs, but it is bad. And I think that there is something to be said about the fact that Ben's way – he doesn't he, – he's talking to the media, but he's really talking to the fans through the media. And I just don't think any fan watches his press conferences and has any confidence in him. I think his credibility is completely shot after the whole thing with Janoris Jenkins, where he didn't tell the truth. And that gets, gets back to the practice thing. Why should anyone believe Ben McAdoo that the Giants are this awesome practice team when he just two days ago lied about where Janoris Jenkins was? Yeah, and I think all the press conference stuff is just kind of like another log on the fire because, again, you know, we don't get this. We're not in the meeting rooms. We're not, you know, at practice for the most part. Obviously, fans aren't. So this is, again, the one avenue you get to, you know, see the coach and, and you know, have him communicate. And it just another thing that suggests he's not up to this task. I mean, there are a million coaches throughout history who are great assistants, great coordinators. And, and, you know, kind of the old line, especially in basketball is, you know, you move that 18 inches down a seat and everything changes. And that's clearly, you know, I think what's happened to Ben McAdoo. I mean, granted, he didn't even have this long story history as a coordinator. I mean, you might say he wasn't even ready for the, you know, the head coaching job when he got it. Uh, but now it's clean. It was two years on the job and, and it just, he just doesn't, give off that that vibe i mean it's like you know certain people say they have a presidential you know vibe during election season i mean he just doesn't give off that head coaching vibe it's it's not hard to see why players would have a little bit of a tough time connecting with him i, I know last year everything was kind of you know hunky dory because he came in and was kind of the you know the, the fun substitute teacher after you know being under coughlin's rule for you know obviously a long time for most of those players um 
but now it's just kind of blown up in his face. And it's not just the fan base who's paying attention to this. I mean, this this is the stuff that definitely bothers ownership. Because, listen, again, press conferences don't matter. If you go 11-5 and five every year, you can do whatever you want at the press conference. But when the fans are upset, and then you're up there, and this is the you know representation of your team. Jerry Reese speaks once a year. Mara speaks very rarely. I mean, this is the guy that everyone is looking to. It only adds to kind of the laughingstock nature of things. Uh, and that's the stuff that, again, that's going to eat away at John Mara and Steve Tisch. I mean, they don't they don't want to see 51 to 17. They also don't want to see you know Rodney Harrison and Tony Dungy light up their franchise on Sunday night football. Everyone's watching around the league and you know, around the country. That only makes it worse, again, the, the problems with McAdoo are beyond just press conferences, but he, he certainly doesn't help his cause with, you know, with what he does in those. When Ben got hired, he called this the football capital of the world. But he seemed, he, he, he's acted like he can just stiff arm all the optics that come with the football capital of the world, which just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you knew what you were signing up for. It's New York. This is the big leagues. And he just doesn't seem to be able to deliver what they need. I mean, Dan's right. He is the front-facing voice of the Giants. Jerry Reese has got this sweet gig where somehow, even though I mean I wasn't around, but you know guys who were on the beat then, uh, veteran writers, have told me George Young and Ernie Acorsi were available every day. You could call Ernie Acorsi in his office and ask him a question about something, and he would give you an answer if he felt he could. You know, in the best interest of the Giants, they would talk to the reporters at practice. You know, they would talk after the games. Jerry Reese has got this thing where he talks, you know, three, four times a year. You know, he gets his bit, oh, I'm not talking. I mean, the fact of the matter is that your team just got embarrassed in historic fashion. You should talk. You should own it up. And the fact of the matter is when you when you keep putting McAdoo front and center and he's not delivering a good message, Dan is right. It's not going to sit well in the ownership. The other thing is, and this is kind of – it's not a serious open challenge, but it's a challenge. If this team is so great at practice – Open practice up to the beat writers this week. Let us go there and watch every single minute of practice. There's no rule saying we can't do it if the team allows us. We'll keep stats. We'll everything. Prove to us this team is such a great practice team. Let us see it. I'm going to guess he's not going to because I'm going to guess no, not as good of a practice. No, but I'm saying, hey, let's do it. Yeah, no, let's I'm going to watch practice. Okay, it'd be great. And, and it'd, be give, it'd give you something else to look at and hopefully something better because what you're looking at right now uh, isn't any good. So, all right, a couple things to touch on here. Let, let's – let's kind of steer this McAdoo conversation to what happens now. And then we have to get into Eli Manning because um, in Ben's press conference yesterday, he alluded to the idea of younger guys getting some playing time. And he said, everybody. And then of course, Eli Manning was asked about this. Uh, and I don't think Eli is going to just go quietly and say, yeah, guys, it's fine. I'll, I'll set the bench the rest of the year. Let's, let's wrap up the Ben conversation first though. Dan, when not, if we, we, we kind of alluded to to start this show, do you think Ben McAdoo is going to survive this full season as giants coach? Well, I mean, before yesterday, I, I definitely thought so, and I, you know, I don't think anything's you know coming down uh, today or this week. I think we, you know, I think that's the type of move you make, you know, first thing Monday morning, and uh, it's obviously a little complicated too with you know Joan Tish's funeral. I don't, it'd be a, kind of an awkward time to uh, to make such a seismic change. I guess I look at it like this: if you know he's going to get fired, I understand the school thought, well, just the sooner the better. But this seems one in seven. And I, I don't know that there's a ton to be gained. Again, this is an organization that likes stability. Um, you know, why fire him? You know, promote, say, Spags for eight games. Because, I mean, Spags is not going to be the long-term head coach here. You're going to have to – I think they're going to have to go, you know, outside the tree 
And if they're going to fire McAdoo, they need to wipe out the staff. None of the half measures they did with keeping half the staff. I, I, that was kind of an awkward move. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that's the way to go. So, uh, listen, if, if things just continue to go this way, they, their, their hand might be forced. But I feel like the kind of in-season firing makes sense, A, if that happens, if things totally go off the rails. Or B, if you're like uh, three and five and you feel like maybe this is the one, you know, the one card you can play that, hey, if we maybe the guys all love spags and we get them in there, we can go on a little bit of a run. You're one and seven. I mean, the season's over. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, they're not going to hire a, a long-term coach, you know, during the season. They're probably going to have to wait till after the Super Bowl probably to talk to assistants. So, uh, I mean, I know fans want them to happen right now, but it would be kind of a hurry up and wait because you're not going to, you know, fill that void long term, uh, you know, if you fire him tomorrow. So I think that they'll wait till the end of the year. But of course, that's just a guess. I mean, not John Marin, you know, no one's telling us if they, you know, if they have any plans uh, to do so anytime sooner. But I just I don't see a ton to be gained other than sort of just, you know, public perception. Everyone would be happy that if it happened today. Um, but, you know, I think for the, the big picture, because uh, you also have to make a decision on Jerry Reese, I think it kind of makes sense to just kind of do everything, you know, once the season's over one way or another. Because obviously we're saying why not if. Who knows? Maybe, you know, maybe these guys really dig deep on that whole stability thing. Uh, it's hard to fathom that. But, yeah, I just – I don't know. I mean, I, I put it this way. I'd be surprised if he gets fired before the end of the season. But I've, all, I've already been surprised by a bunch of things that have happened to this point, so you can't rule it out. No, you can't. And, and James, they had, and I, I saw you tweeting on Sunday night about the matchup. You guys had the San Francisco this week. Um, and, and James, you're having some fun at the promos Fox could run for this game because it's two awful teams. At least the Niners have a future they're looking forward to. We don't know what the Giants' future is. But um, if the Giants go out to San Francisco and lose and give the Niners their first win of the season, uh, is that rock bottom? Was yesterday rock bottom? Have we seen rock bottom yet? I think we just are going to continually hit rock bottoms potentially you know just yeah they'll lose to the Niners that's rock bottom and then I don't really think you're gonna hit a rock I mean the, the Chiefs beat them the Chiefs beat them you know if if they get completely embarrassed uh on Thanksgiving night against the Redskins that'll be another rock bottom uh that's a game that I think could mean a lot because you know Wellington Mara always considered the Redskins to be the Giants true rival I know that the fans would probably consider the Cowboys or the Eagles more I mean Giants-Redskins is the oldest rivalry in the NFL. If they go out on Thanksgiving night with the whole nation watching and deliver a complete egg, I think that could be a thing. I I agree with Dan. I think it's unlikely that they would fire Ben McAdoo before the season ends just because the only time a head coach really gets fired during the season is, as Dan said, when you're trying to create a spark – like, you know, when Joe Philbin got fired by the Dolphins, I think, you know, four or five games into the season uh, when they lost to the Jets in London. Or if like the Eagles, where you're just tired of looking at the guy and you just you just let Chip Kelly go with, with a couple of days to go in the season. And look, I think there's a chance not to break into the Eli thing. But like if Ben McAdoo, like basically said, I am benching Eli, I don't care what anyone else thinks. Like, yeah, maybe that would be kind of, you know, the 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 failed Christmas party moment for the Giants where they just say, okay, we're done. But I think at this point, if Ben is going to keep his job after this game, I mean, the only two pivot points I can think of were if they get lose to the Niners and like blown out to a winless team, or I think that game against the, uh, the division games, if, if they get blown out, I mean, I'm at the point where I don't think you make Spags the interim head coach. If you made a move because the defense has quit. I mean, I, I think that's something that is going to get a lot more attention in, in the weeks to come is that we can say they quit on McAdoo, but I think there's a good argument to make that they've also quit on Spags given the way they've played. And the only, I mean, 
Mike Sullivan, I mean, I feel like the only way you're going to make a change is if you're going to try to give someone like Mike Sullivan a chance to somehow win the job and turn the team around. And I don't see how this team can be turned around. And I just don't see if even if that's a, you can't bring another guy from the family in. I mean, that, you can't be what would it be three head co- coaches in four years and they're all basically from the same staff. I mean, that's not going to work. So I agree with Dan. I think if, if change is coming and we we think it's coming, but you never know. I think it would come after the season. And one last thing before we get to Eli, even if you fire Jerry Reese, you're, you're going to have to keep the whole personnel, you know, scouting department in place till after the draft. You're just changing one guy. It's not, I think fans think that if Jerry gets fired, a new GM is going to come in with a completely new scouting regime and, it, and it's like snap their fingers and they're going to be better. I mean, the same scouts are still going to be working for that new GM. Usually that's how it works in the NFL. The, the, you know, the, everyone below the GM stays in place till after the draft and then you start making changes. Yeah, and it feels like the changes are going to start coming. And the big one that's probably going to come at some point or could come at some point, Dan, it was talked about yesterday a lot, and I'm sure it'll be talked about throughout this week, Eli Manning. So he has started 207 consecutive games. He went over 50,000 yards passing yesterday. We know all his accomplishments. We know the next good Giants team probably won't have Eli as the quarterback, or it's unlikely that it will. But this is awkward. I mean, this is awkward in every sport when there's a player that's held in this standard for a franchise. And Ben alluded to the idea of getting Davis Webb or other quarterbacks playing time. And Eli Manning, after the game, said, well, they've got to do what they've got to do. I want to be out there. I want to keep playing with my teammates and keep working. I don't think Eli is just going to go into McAdoo's office one of these weeks and say, I'm cool if you want to play Davis Webb. This this feels like another challenge, and I'm not sure how Ben McAdoo is going to handle this one. Yeah, and yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I don't think Eli's going to do that. I don't think Eli should do that. I mean, listen, it's one thing to be a great team player, but he still feels like he can play and he, and he gives the team the best chance to win. It's not his job. Uh, and Ben McAdoo said this in the spring. It's not Eli's job to get Davis Webb ready. I mean, granted, it doesn't have to be Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers where there's you know acrimony, but he you know he can help Davis Webb in the meeting room and Davis Webb can learn a lot by watching him. But Eli isn't isn't it's not a charity. He's not supposed to say, oh yeah, here take my job one year earlier. Let me. I mean, if Ben McAdoo and the organization makes that decision. I'm sure Eli will bite his lip and be a good soldier. It'd be kind of interesting to see if Eli, for one time, actually didn't do that. You know, if he actually did take the lower road for a change, uh, it'd be probably the first time. But uh, I think that's, from the Eli perspective, that answer is kind of what you'd want, what you'd expect. I mean, what's he supposed to say? Oh, yeah, hey, if they want to bench me, I'm still collecting my check. I mean, of course he wants to play. So I don't have any problem with that. It is going to make it more difficult. But again, it's going to, it was always going to be difficult. <laughs> there's, no, there's no easy way to, to kind of nudge your, your franchise quarterback who's you know, brought so much of the team on and off the field out the door. That's always going to be complicated and sticky. Uh, I wouldn't. I'm not going to run wild with McAdoo's comments as much as I feel like some people are. I mean, listen, you got to write it. You got to report it. It's definitely a possibility. But it's just—it was kind of a McAdooism, like when he said he's going to give young players, uh, you know, more of a chance in the second half. And he gets asked directly about the quarter. Does that include the quarterback? And he said it includes everybody. He didn't say yes. It's yes. That's that's one of our spots we're looking at. I mean, he he doesn't really pin himself down too much. It's kind of like his never say never type of uh, response, in my opinion. Because I go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago. Ben McAdoo has, has very little motivation, in my opinion, to play Davis Webb. Because again. If if Davis Webb goes in there, I, I, I can't fathom anyone thinks he's going to do better than Eli. Whatever you think about Eli's performance, you've got a kid who basically has not taken very many practice reps going all the way back to the spring and training camp. He's been in like a red shirt year, the third quarterback, 
very minimal reps. You think he's going to go in with this, you know, kind of marginalized offense and, and be better than Eli Manning? Again, as bad as Eli may have been at, at certain times yesterday and certain times throughout the season, that's hard to fathom. So Ben McAdoo, he wants it to get worse. He's going to say, oh, I'll just look to the future and we'll take our lumps. He's not going to be here for the future if that happens. So I feel like, again, it would have to come from on high where they would have to, you know, say, you're going to be here. You know, the ownership of State of McAdoo, you're going to be here, so let the kid play because we need to, you know, kind of get all the ducks in a row, know what we're going to do. You know, if we have a top three draft pick, we're going to take a quarterback. We know what's Eli's future. All that stuff is is super complicated, I think, to, to kind of delve through. Um, but, yeah, I don't. I didn't take McAdoo's answer to say that, you know, Davis Webb's going to start, you know, in week 10 or anything like that. I just I think the thing they do need to do is make him the number two quarterback. Because listen, there's no point in Geno Smith getting the you know the one series he got late uh, in yesterday's game, and going forward, if there are more blowouts, at least let Davis Webb get the garbage time. Give give, give him something. There's nothing to be gained from Geno Smith, you know, who's on a one-year deal, who's definitely going to be looking to go somewhere to have you know more of a chance to play next year. Uh, it makes no sense to make him the number two quarterback. But uh, like I said, I mean, I know, I know James probably have some thoughts on this. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's going to happen with Davis Webb starting. And, and I just, from the people involved, I, again, I just can't see what Ben Mackey's motivation would be, uh, you know, to make that happen. James, I know you've been uh, on this Eli thing since last year, thinking that he's going to retire when the Giants kind of push him out the door, whenever this relationship comes to an end. It feels like this whole conversation is being expedited, though. It's one thing if it was, you know, in the offseason and a regime comes in, maybe they want to make a switch or draft a quarterback. They, always these things happen faster than we think. And, and this could be happening at some point this year. I find it hard to believe that this relationship is going to be fine if they take this job away from him or sit him down at the end of the season and he'll come back next year uh, and be their quarterback if that's the route they want to go. I feel like I feel like we're teetering on the Giants and Eli's relationship um, and where it goes from here. I mean, this is the same guy that forced his way to a team when he came into the draft. I mean, if he doesn't like his situation, he, he might not want to be part of it for very long. No, I agree with you. And I, I think, look, this what, what this is going to come down to is – Put McAdoo aside. Put Reese aside. Davis Webb is not going to get on the field unless John Mara and Steve Tisch say he can be on the field. And I think it's that's what's going to come down to is John Mara's relationship with Eli Manning, Steve Tisch's relationship with Eli Manning. Because I think Dan is right in the sense that you know what what you know motivation does McAdoo have to put Webb? The only motivation he has, in my opinion, is if he thinks that like that's the last card of desperation, that I'm going to rope John Mara into this youth movement, and if Davis Webb plays well, then maybe somehow I have an argument to stay here because he's my guy and he's in our offense. I mean, that's the only way I can think that the Giants would do that because they're just saying if Davis Webb somehow gives this team a surge in the second half, but I just don't I don't see John Mara doing Eli like that. I just don't see it happening. I think Dan's right. He's got to be active. He has to, you know, when you have a game like Sunday and you have a chance to put a backup quarterback in the game to mop up, he's got to be it. Geno Smith is not part of this team's future. Uh, I'm not saying cut Geno Smith, but, you know, Geno Smith was brought in for a contending team. And they're not a contending team, so now it's time to – you know, if you want to dress Gino still and, and make sure he gets his per game, you know, bonus to do well by him, fine. But Davis Webb needs to be the second quarterback in every week going forward. I don't think they're going to not start Eli unless he gets hurt. I just think that John Mara is not going to do that. And I understand that. But I think the real decision has come after this year. 
If you clean house, Eli has two years left. You need to have a sit down, have a serious discussion with Eli Manning because I don't see how this team can slap a couple of band-aids on it and try to just, oh, we're just going to run it back and, and try to win a Super Bowl again in 2018. There are major issues all over the place. They're not going to have a lot of cap space. They've got a lot of big contracts on the books. They're going to have big contracts coming on the books with guys like Beckham and Collins. You need to sit down with Eli and have a frank discussion of, one, 2018 is probably your last year here. Do you want to kind of go down with this ship and, and we're not going to be too good? Or do you want to retire? And I do think – I just don't see Eli Manning – and none of us know Eli terribly well. I don't think a lot of the Giants probably know Eli terribly well. But I, I don't see him going to some other city just to you know, wear a weird uniform in a weird city just for one or two seasons. And honestly, I don't know if other teams would want him. Eli's not playing very well right now. And I know he doesn't have a lot of talent around him, but he's 37 years old. When his brother was a free agent, his brother, neck injury aside, was the best quarterback on earth. Eli is not that. And I really don't know if a team's going to pay him a lot of money to bring in an aging quarterback who hasn't played well the last two seasons. One one thing I just want to jump in with Joe too. I think if McAdoo was to be back, and again, I think we've all you know think that ship has sailed. I, I don't think. I mean, I think there's been enough little hints dropped that Eli is not his guy. Now, I wasn't here when McAdoo was the OC, and they seemed to you know get along so well. And I know Eli was in, you know in favor of them uh, promoting McAdoo head coach. But there's just been enough cracks kind of shown in that relationship, uh, basically coming from McAdoo's side. I mean, Eli really hasn't said anything to throw his coach under the bus. But going the other way, you know, we've seen that. And you just get the sense that McAdoo has almost like this contempt when he talks about Eli after a game with the turnovers or, you know, got to make those throws in a way that he doesn't talk about other guys. I mean, I know we talked about this way back in the season where, you know, obviously he never criticizes the offensive line and Eric Flowers in particular, but Eli gets a delay game penalty and it was, you know, the crime of the century. So uh, that's something too that I think that maybe could play into playing Webb uh, kind of to a point James made. Maybe he says, forget it. I'll put Webb out there, and if, if he does look better, I can say, listen, Eli was one holding me back again. I think that won't happen. I don't think McAdoo can can pull that off, and I don't think it would work. But that is kind of the one interesting kind of uh, subplot here. I, it doesn't seem like they're on the same page. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like Eli is, is the quarterback that McAdoo wants, uh, obviously for the future, which you know may not be very long for McAdoo. But just going back to the fact that you know he they, he you know pushed to get Webb in here in the third round, and you know from some grumbling wanted him even earlier. So, I mean, the fact that he was that high and there was the Mahomes rumors and he was, you know, he went to Mahomes' pro day that fueled those even more. Um, you know, those types of things, I think it made it pretty clear that, that McAdoo, you know, assuming this year he didn't go off the rails and, and you know, that he was going to be here for the long term, uh, he didn't see that future with, you know, Eli Manning being a kind of a prominent part. So uh, it's a little bit moot because we don't think McAdoo's going to be here, but it just, it's kind of an interesting subplot that does kind of jump out when you start to look back, um, you know, at this relationship. It I is. Think, it's one. It's, it's certainly something to keep in mind. And imagine if, and I don't think any of us think it's going to happen. Imagine if Ben McAdoo outlasts Eli Manning in this little relationship. That uh, if things don't go over well in the Giants fan base, that I think that would just set them off. Eli, two-time <laughs> Super Bowl winner, gone. But they're keeping Ben McAdoo. What were you going to say, James? I just think there's two things. I mean, one, if the Giants have already decided internally that they're going to completely clear clean house, I mean, the new regime that comes in, Davis Webb's not their pick, right? So, I mean. It, there's not really a major urgency to see Davis Webb play this year if you're going to change the, the GM and the coach just because, yeah, there's a chance that, that that new GM and coach come and say, yeah, we love this kid. Uh, we think you guys made a great third-round pick. Or they might say, we want Sam Darno, We want Josh Rosen. 
you know, it's great that we have this guy. Maybe we can trade him at some point. The other thing is, I, just to, I mean, if the Giants to go back to what I said about ownership, I mean, I could totally see a scenario like a midseason firing where Ben Magnus is, is banging the table. I need to start Davis Webb. I could see John Mara saying, "Okay, you're gone." I'll, I'll go find someone on the staff who promises me that Eli will start the rest of the season. Mike and Sullivan, br- step right up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when you bring in a new coach and GM, I could totally see John Mara saying, we'd love to give you the job. There's one condition. Eli is going to be the starting quarterback in 2018. Because look, there's going to be a lot of coaches and GMs that probably come in and, and if the Giants make moves and interview, and they're going to say, you know what? Uh, I don't, Eli, he's shot. Because I think a lot of people think that Eli's done. But I could see a situation where – Maybe if just for one season, John Mayer is insistent that they bridge the gap because I just think the absolute last thing the Giants want to have done is basically have GM fired, the coach fired, a complete disaster, you know, two and fourteen season, one and fifteen season, and Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning both unceremoniously basically pushed out the door and potentially going to greener pastures to have success. And that's another thing. Do not think for a second that the Giants ownership is not aware of the fact that Tom Coughlin is laying down the law in Jacksonville and he's probably going to win the AFC South. Tom Coughlin, executive of the year, and the Giants are just a rudderless franchise now. It's uh, Marone, a coach the Giants could have hired. Sure. No, it, it's it's a bad look. The Giants have gone from one of the NFL's most consistent teams to bad pretty quickly. Uh, it, it's amazing. The Giants will be in San Francisco on Sunday. You guys will be there, I guess, on coaching quarterback watch, something that... Uh, we didn't expect before this season started. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. And thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks to all of you for listening. Remember, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere. Listen to podcasts. We're there. Leave us a rating. Helps our show grow. We'll be back next week as we try to piece together the puzzle that is the 2017 New York Giants right here at NJ.com.